I think without further ado, I will ask Alan to come up, and I will turn the time over to him. Um, I don't know. God has blessed our family with having him here all week. They came on Monday, I think, Monday evening, and it's been a great week of just talking and praying and laughing and and um, hearing stories. Alon was a teacher slash pastor most of his adult life, and um, it shows his love for God and, and also his love for his people, Israel, um, has been very uh, has been an inspiration to me. Um, and now the boys are kind of chomping at the bit to go back to Israel. And I knew they would after this week. One of them came to me last night and said, Oh, Dad, I wish we could go soon. <laughs> so, well, it'll come. It will come. So um, we'll just turn the time over to you and um, whatever the, the Spirit has for you. Abba, Father, we just thank you for Alon and thank you for his love for you and for the things that you have showed him in his life and in this world and and part of your amazing plan. Um, we just pray that as he speaks, that we would ha- our hearts could be receptive to what you want us to hear today. And I just pray that you would give him the words to speak. We thank you. Thank you. Amen. Don't go too far away. Uh, Hi. I'm really, really thrilled, honored, delighted to be with you. When uh, Pastor Dan, who I call the son, invited me to Winnipeg to speak and spend time with him, I said, can we put in Red Lake? And I said, uh, I'd sure love to spend time with Kevin, Linda, their family, and maybe a Sunday with their congregation. And I'm glad that he was able to do that. It all worked out. And I have had one of the greatest weeks of my life being with Kevin, Linda, and those five boys. You should be so proud of this family. It's one thing to talk about it, but it's another to live it. Amen? And I am ever, ever so grateful that on Skype... My wife, there in Israel, saw me, and she said, Wow, are you ever happy? And I, I told her, You have no idea how much joy I have being here in Red Lake and being with this family. So I want to thank Linda for all the hard work she went to. to you know, when you have a guest in your house for a week, it's, it puts a burden on you. And uh, she just did everything with flying colors, and I thank you, Linda, for all of your hospitality. And um, my wife also said, now there's one thing I want to make sure that you do while you're with these believers, and that is pray for the three kidnapped boys. You know that there's three teenage boys that are being held by terrorists, and uh, we want to pray that they're still alive and that they be returned to their family. And there are Christians all over the world that are praying for Ilan, Gilad, and Naftali. And so I asked uh, Jared if he would uh, just come and lead us in a prayer for these three guys. So you'll help me with that? Thank you. Are you going to do it there? Whatever. Okay. And I think it might be really good if like we did with Lexus, if we stand and pray for these three guys. You know, I can't... It's one thing to have your your kids kidnapped, but it's another to have them in the hands of some of the worst terrorists in the world. You know what Hamas is all about. Our Father in heaven, we come before you on the plead for the lives of these three boys. 
that they, we know they're being held by people that really do despise you, despise your people. Anyone that calls themselves followers of Christ is ultimately a target by them. And we pray for the safe return of these boys to their families. We pray for courage for them, for the families, for the people searching for them, that they would be strong through you and your son. We pray that you would also give the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, a clue, somewhere that they can look, because, I mean, Israel's not a big country. They've probably already scoured it, but yeah, we pray for that and pray that the boys would be strong, strong in you and knowing that whether or not, whether they live or whether they die, they gain from either one because they believe in you. In the name of your son, amen. Well, I get to have fun today because Pastor Kevin says, feel free to be personal. And I'm going to be very personal in my teaching and share a little bit about what happened to me. And uh, I think some of you are going to be able to relate to that. But first, I want to start with reading the Word. And let's begin with this wonderful story in Luke where he had been crucified and he was resurrected and he appeared to two men on the road to Emmaus and in Luke chapter 24 we read the story of these two men and how he was with them and it was like, don't you know what happened in Jerusalem? And they tell the story of what happened to the man who was Yeshua. Like, he didn't know what had happened. And then he says this in, in chapter 24, verse 25. Foolish people, so unwilling to put your trust in everything the prophet spoke. Didn't the Messiah have to die like this before entering the glory? Then, starting with Moshe... And the prophets, he explained to them the things that can be found throughout the Tanakh concerning himself. Now, so you understand what I just said. He said, let, they, he started with Moshe, Moses. What does that mean? That means the first five books of the Bible. Those are the books of Moses. So that's where he started. He started in the beginning. Was he there at creation? Yes, he was. He was all the way through the books of Moses. And then he goes into the, the prophets. You mean he was involved with the prophets? Yes, he was. What did he do? Can you imagine Yeshua being able to explain and teach to us all the things he did in those times? And then it comes up to the, the Tanakh. It says all the things that can be found in the Tanakh, in the scriptures concerning himself. So he went all the way through from Genesis to Malachi, in your order of Bible, teaching what he did. Now, you say, but the road to Emmaus was less than 10 miles from Jerusalem. You know, uh, that doesn't give a lot of teaching time. No, it wasn't enough, so he stayed and taught more. I don't know any other more exciting verse than 32 that says... Didn't our hearts burn inside of us as he spoke to us on the road, opening up the scriptures to us? Now, if the scriptures burn with joy in your heart when Kevin is sharing with you what God has for you in the scriptures, that makes you 
not only excited about the scriptures, it makes you a part of what God was doing with Israel. And what God was doing with Israel is something that was exciting then, but it's even more exciting now. What is God doing with Israel now? Okay, that's where we're going. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 30 that says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The covenant I made with their fathers on that day, I took them by their land, brought them out of the land of Egypt. God's going to make a new covenant. Okay? Now, if we back up... Well, wait a minute. Forget that one. Let's go forward. The scriptures declare that God has not only a plan, but a purpose. If you read in 29, Jeremiah 29, there's going to be time, verse 30, where there will be 70 years, 70 years where God has something he wants to do. 70 years. What's God going to do for 70 years? Can you believe I took the marker out and I didn't put it back? Okay. Kevin, where's that thing of the sticks? It's marked sticks. Well, I... Come on. What? Jeremiah. I apologize for this, but you know, I'm only human. La da da da. Actually, I think I marked the wrong passage. Okay, let me just tell you what it says, because it's Ephraim and the two sticks. Ephraim. Okay. Here's what God's doing. This is the message that's being proclaimed right now in North Korea and in Africa and in Pakistan and in the Philippines and in Brazil and throughout North America. And it's the story of God saying to the prophet, write on the stick the name Judah. And then write on another stick the name Ephraim. And then he says, take those two sticks and put them together, and they are going to become one stick. Okay? Now, that passage of Scripture that I had underlined that I can't find, that passage of Scripture is what it's all about today. What does that mean? God's going to do something that he's never done before. And the word 70, you know, comes into Scripture of doing something. Israel's not 70 years old. But what has happened? It's in Ezekiel 37. Oh, my. Ezekiel 37. Okay. I'm looking for my notes. Thank you, Kevin. 37.15, the word of the Lord came to me. Human being, take one stick, write on it, for Yehuda has joined those among the people of Israel. Now take another stick, write on it, the stick of Yosef, the stick of Ephraim, and the house of Israel will be joined with him. Okay. What the Lord has in mind is bringing Israel back to the land. And you know that it's been many years since 1948 when God started to do this. And what happened in 1967 
was the most amazing thing of all. Israel became part of Jerusalem once again, and Jerusalem became part of Israel. So what's that mean? It means the prophet was right when he said Jerusalem will be back in the hands of the Jews. Almost 2,000 years, in fact, it was more than 2,000 years, the Jews did not control Jerusalem. It was controlled by the Greeks, the Romans, everybody else, but not the Jews. In 1967, something happened. Now, we are in, say the scholars, this 70-year period where God is bringing a new covenant together. Listen to this because it concerns Red Lake immensely. God says, I will bring all of the tribes back to the land of Israel. Something happened. Maybe you've heard about it. It's called the Ethiopian Jew. Those Jews that are really, really black. Okay? Really dark. Yeah. Some of them are Jew. And they've got the DNA. And you know what you'll find in Israel in every community? A black Jew. And they're very good in their Hebrew. Much better than me. And in our synagogue, we have regularly visitors that come to where I live. And there are black Jews that come in and worship with us because they are part of what God is doing. Did you know we have Chinese Jews that are coming back to the land of Israel? Did you know that we have just begun to discover that maybe there are Jews all over the place and we don't even know what they look like, but God said, I'm going to bring them back to the land. Now, You've heard a lot of discussion about the missing tribes, right? I want to give you an illustration of what it's like. If we go to Genesis, chapter 43, Joseph was the prince of Egypt, right? He was the prince of Egypt. But his brothers Judah, they went in to buy things from the prince but they didn't know that this was their brother Joseph. And it says here in chapter 43, verse 18, excuse me, 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his household manager, take the men inside the house, kill the animals, prepare the meat. These men will dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph ordered and brought the men into Joseph's house. Upon being ushered into Joseph's house, the men became fearful. They said, it's because of the money that was returned in our packs the first time that we got a problem. We got a problem. And he said, stop worrying. It's not about that at all. And then Joseph did something. He sat them down in order of their birth from the oldest to the youngest. And do you remember what happened to the youngest on the end? When there's, during this time of famine, they go in to the biggest buffet they've ever seen in their life. But something amazing happened. Little Benjamin, who was also from his mother, Rachel, had two children. They were the two full brothers. And he had his baby brother at the end of the table. And as they're giving all the food, he gives his baby brother five times more than everybody else. Obviously, a lot more than he could eat. What was going on here? His baby brother and all the other brothers were going to be saved during the famine. You know the story. They ended up all going to Egypt and living in the land of Goshen. But there's this moment here in this story where they don't know who Judah is. Excuse me, the other way around. They don't know 
who Yosef is. But Yosef knows who Judah is. He knows who Levi is. He knows who all of them are. But they don't know who he is. And now we read that the prophet says the same thing's going to happen. There's going to be a time when they don't know who each other are. Judah will not know who his brothers are. But God says, I'm going to bring all the tribes back to the land of Israel. Well, I want to ask you the question. How is it possible if the, if the Jew living in Israel doesn't know who the other tribes are, that they're going to be back in the land? And by the way, it's got to happen fast, real fast. What kind of technology is even possible that all of a sudden they're going to discover that they can find out who belongs to the tribe of Gad, who belongs to the tribe of Naphtali, who belongs to the tribe of Issachar, who belongs to these tribes that are missing. We all know the answer to that. It's the fingerprints that are not on our thumb, but are what? In our DNA. You know what Israel did to help Red Lake? They developed technology so that here in Red Lake, you can have a telephone without a cord. You knew that was developed in Israel. Here in Red Lake, the fire department, through satellites and other things, are watching for, you know, where lightning hits so that they can prevent forest fires. That technology came from Israel. Israel leads the world in technology. The highest productive part of the economy of Israel today is not diamonds, it's not agriculture, it's not tourism, it's not those things of the past. What is it? High technology. And guess what they're working on? How do we find those missing tribes? When are we going to find them? Because we want to find them before we build the third temple. And they're this close to building the third temple. While I was here in Red Lake, I don't remember what day it was, I came downstairs in the morning and I said to Linda, Linda, you got to see this. They now have a perfect red heifer calf. It has no black hairs or white hairs. It is solid red hairs, which is a miracle. It's only happened nine times in the history of Israel. It has red hoofs. It has a red nose. It's eyelids. It is perfectly kosher, ready to be taken to Israel so they can bring it to the priests, have the sacrifice, get the ashes from that perfect red heifer so they can dedicate the third holy temple. They said the red heifer is a sign from God that it's time to build the third temple. And when did they discover that this was a perfect red heifer? This week they made it known. But they don't tell you where in the United States the calf is. And it's still a calf. It was only born in January. So it's got to be a year old before it can be suitable. So now this red heifer somewhere in the United States is being watched by Israel to see if it, A, matures to one year without any cuts or bruises or any flaws on this animal. It has to stay perfect. You know what I'm saying? They're holding their breath. Because if this thing, this calf, makes it to be the heifer, and if it's transported gently on an El Al 747 back to the land of Israel, it will be sacrificed and they will be ready to build the third temple because they've got what they need to make it holy. All of this stuff is going on quickly while we're here. What, what's going on? 
The Roman Catholic Church says they were Israel. Israel doesn't exist. The Christian Church says Israel can't be the Israel of the Bible because they don't have the city of Jerusalem. They got Jerusalem. Now they're this close to the third temple. And you say, but I don't think the Muslims will let them do that. Which Muslims? The Muslim Salafate that's gathering all the way around Israel from Egypt, Iraq, Iran. You know what I'm saying? These are exciting days because something's going to happen to this dark cloud around Israel. It's going to be neutralized. How? Well, Egypt's going to be 70 years without habitation. Something is going to happen. And how does that affect red light? How does it affect red light? My neighbor lived in South Africa. At the very lowest spot of South Africa, you can't go lower than him or you're on your way to the Antarctica. This man is now living in Israel because God brought him there. God's bringing people from all over the planet to the land of Israel who are his. And I've got to tell you, there are people that don't have a clue that they are one of the tribes. But they will. And what will happen when God brings all of these people to the land of Israel? He says it. I'm going to bring them back. It's going to be difficult because there's that thing called Gog and Magog. You know what I'm saying? And you say, well, oh my. He's bringing all of Israel, all the 12 tribes back together to the land of Israel, and then Gog and Magog is going to come and wipe them out, right? When you read about Gog and Magog, Russia or whatever it is, I got news for you. They don't win. And that's when we have the promises of the Messiah to come, take up the scepter of David, and establish a kingdom for 1,000 years. And who's going to be living in the land of Israel for a thousand years? The Pope is wrong. It won't be the Catholics. It'll be the bride. There may be some in the Catholic Church that are part of the bride. But he knows his bride. Just like Joseph knew Benjamin. And what did he give his brother? five times what he could possibly eat or need. What does that say to you? God is providing for us today. He's our provider. And he will provide for you more than you need. And if you are one of those, don't worry about dying in Red Lake or anywhere else. Because during that thousand years, there'll be no death. And you know who's going to be in the land during the thousand years? A lot of people you've heard about, you've read about. They're going to be there. It's going to be a honeymoon with the Messiah. Now I want to tell you about this little boy from Middlefield, Ohio. Middlefield was probably about the same size as the village of Red Lake. A farming community. Lots of Amish buggies and when I was in school, I started kindergarten with 12 kids. And all 12 of us stayed in that school and graduated from high school together. It was a little village. My mother married a man that she loved, and he loved her. And after they'd been married for many years, she was told she couldn't have children. And like all women who want to have a baby, when you're told by the specialist you'll never have a child, she was crushed. And she called my grandmother because my grandmother only had three daughters, six sons, but only three daughters. And two of the daughters never would have children. My mother was told she couldn't conceive, and my grandmother said, let's pray. The doctors don't know more than God. 
and she prayed with my mother in night, the summer of 1941. She said, Evangeline, this boy belongs to God. And right now we're going to give him to God and don't you ever confess that you're not going to have a child and that you must know he belongs to the Lord. December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor. It was a bad day in the world. But it turned out to be a pretty good month for my mama because I was born August 1942. There in the country hospital, two beds, the same doctor that delivered my mother and many of her brothers and sisters delivered me. And he said to my grandmother, he's not going to make it. This little boy that looked more like monkey than man wasn't going to make it. In August of 1942, my mother had her six brothers, now in uniform, Army, Navy, and Air Force, come and see this thing. And they said to my mother, it's okay if he doesn't make it. Little Alan made it. I was small. I was the tiniest member of our family. And my uncles had lots of sons. And I was always the little one. And I was the one who kept dodging death. Drowning twice food poisoning twice, automobile accidents that demolished the cars, in an airplane where two engines caught on fire, men drew knives to kill me, and I was unarmed. I fell off of a building under concrete, head first, I was in the hospital for three months. The word was I was killed. They didn't know. God had a guardian angel over me, and I didn't die. I was sleeping in a beautiful hotel room in Jerusalem about 10 years ago. and. I woke up. I had a floor heater. And I woke up in the middle of the night. <clears throat> Something was... <clears throat> and I looked in the mirror, and I couldn't believe what I saw. I was full of blood. I had a bloody nose. No big deal, right? They don't hurt. You sleep through it. You don't wake up. Blood's coming out. I got up. They couldn't stop it. So the paramedics took me to the hospital. No big deal. I've had worse. About 10 years ago, I was in the hospital, Palm Springs, California. The doctors, the cardiologists said, you're in bad shape. We've got to go in and do this and this and this and this and this and this and this into your heart. And you know how they say that. And I didn't like what they said. He scared me. So I got on the phone with a doctor who had two kids in my school, and I said to him, what do I do? He said, get out of that hospital. <laughs> I signed myself out. I did a mission strip. I came back and met a doctor, the leading cardiologist in California and maybe the world. He's the one who started the cardiac surgeries on babies. And Dr. Gundry said to me, you know what your problem is? It's your hand. You're not eating enough. I was over 100 pounds overweight. I said, what do you mean I'm not eating enough? He said, you're not eating enough the good foods. You're eating junk. You're killing yourself. At that time, 
the Holy Spirit convinced me that I needed to change. And I started eating what is called vegetables. I started eating stuff like kale. Besides losing 100 pounds, and my blood went from ketchup to where it is today, I might be around for a while and see the Messiah return. But I want to tell you the biggest thing God did in my life. It wasn't just saving my life. Not only did he save my soul, but he had a plan for me. In California, I went through pain, a lot of pain. My life was filled with it. My father had a motorcycle accident when I was a little boy. Where's Lexus? There you are. I told Lexus this story. He told my mother if she ever left him, she'd, he'd kill the children. My mother was told that he is violent and she had to leave him or he would kill the children and her. She left my father. Years later, when I was seven years old, excuse me, nine years old, Sissy was seven, we're walking to school, a car stopped in the country, the doors open, and a man offered me chewing gum. And I knew who it was. I didn't know the other man with him, but I knew him. And I grabbed Sissy by the hand, and we started running and screaming. And I don't know how those two children outran two men. God saved our lives. I know what it's like, and I shared with Lexus, to not have a father, to be lonely. My mother eventually remarried a great man, great, loved my sister, my mother. But for me, he really didn't like me. And it hurt me to the core and caused me to want to die when he said in anger, that damn Jew. I wanted to die. I had loneliness. I know what it's like to cry out to God and say, God, I don't want to live here anymore. I don't have a daddy. Steve Massarch was good to my family, but he didn't like me. I know what it's like to listen to a little record with Roy Rogers and Dale Evans singing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And back in the 1950s, in the late 40s, I would see Roy Rogers and Dale Evans on television, and I thought, oh, there's a man I want for a daddy. I used to fantasize, oh, if Roy Rogers could be my daddy. Lexus, I had someone who was going to be a hero and was going to be in my life. He never was, as you know, you know. He was in Hollywood and I was in Ohio. But God did something amazing. I went to California to go to the university. I worked for my uncle, who was pastoring a church. He said, how'd you like to help with the youth? I loved helping with kids, maybe because I didn't have a dad. But I loved helping with kids, like you. There's something you just want to be nice to kids and help them. You understand their pain. And there I was helping my uncle with his youth program at his church. And the day came when who should come in and visit our congregation but Dale Evans and Roy Rogers. <laughs> and before they decided to join this church, they wanted to know who's going to be with their kids. So I was asked to please go out, drive out one evening, and have dinner with them. 
I got in my car, this young college kid, double R bar ranch in Shatsworth, California, drove in, went up to the ranch house, knocked on the door, and Dale said, come on in. And then she said, I hope you like spaghetti. Mrs. Miner has the day off, and that's all I'm fixing. <laughs> I like spaghetti. And then she says, words I'll never forget, Roy, he's here. And in comes the king of the cowboys, Roy Rogers, and he says, come on. I'm going to show you my trophy room. And I went into this big room, probably this size, and saw his holsters, his saddles, his guns, his trophies. There I was to spend over three years with the family known as Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. And because of that Hollywood connection, I got to meet a lot of people. You know what God did to me? He answered a boy's desperate cry. Do you know why? Because he says, you're going to fix other kids. I didn't go into law. I went into ministry. I started the Palm Springs Christian Schools. I had over a thousand kids in my school. And those without dads... I like those kids. There's a lot of them. And I understood their pain. I understood their loneliness. I understood their need to be loved. And I did what I could, not just for the boys, but also the girls. They needed a dad, too. And I taught Emily how to sail a boat. Because there in Palm Springs, you know, we don't have a lot of water. And having drowned twice, once I was unconscious, I decided that maybe the best way to overcome this fear of water is learning to sail. So I went down to Newport Beach, I joined a sailing club, and I was sailing from California out to Catalina Island. And when you go between the mainland and the island, there's a part to where all you see is water. You don't see the island. You don't see Santa Monica or Huntington Beach. All you see is the ocean and water. That's a lot of water. I wanted to overcome my fear. Well, Emily had a fear of water, as did some of the others. I said, come on, I'll get rid of that. I'll help you. And we went, and I was taking my kids on this sailboat over to Catalina and back, over to Catalina and back and teaching them how to do the figure eight with a man overboard, having the time of my life teaching these kids they can overcome everything with God's help. Now comes the best part of my life. I'm a Jew, and I'm trying to help people understand the Jewishness of Jesus. And how, like these two men on the road to Emmaus, they get excited when they saw Jesus in the books of Moses. But, you know, I was kind of not making a lot of progress. And one day, someone came into my office and asked me if I would buy the temple. And I said to this dad who had two kids in my school, what's a temple? He said, the Jewish synagogue. He said, the, the number of Jews in the community is, is down. They've moved to Rancho Mirage. And he said, the building is for sale, and they want you to buy it for your school. I bought it. And to make a very long story short, I wrote a book called Why a Christian Pastor Became a Messianic Rabbi. I bought the building. And when I bought the building, everything was there but one thing, the Jewish connection. The Jews weren't there. Now I've got a passion for my family. My aunts, my uncles, they always joked about their big noses and getting deals and, you know, being Jewish and all of that. But it was not something that was really practiced because they were just secular or they were Christian. But we weren't really involved in temple and the Jewish things. And, and I didn't know how to get there.
Well, when I got the temple, I went down and I shared this with Kevin and I shared it with Pastor Dan. I threw myself down on the floor and I prayed and I wept that I would have a contact with the Jewish community. Now, what did they do? The same thing that happened to Benjamin. His big brother invited him to a meal, put him at the end of the table, and gave him five times what everybody else had to eat. And then they gave me Rabbi Zickerman to be my tutor, a guy who survived four camps and lost the leg. And Rabbi Zickerman was my mentor. And now I not only had in my life a connection with the Jewish community, I was one with them. And now God's got an idea. The synagogue building and the whole center of the city was going to be changed and the city wanted to buy my building. And there was enough money from the sale of the building to buy a house in Israel. And where did God put me in Israel? Right in the very center of where Jesus did his miracles. 85% of everything he did and taught is around my house. In fact, I'm across the street from the Jordan River and ancient Bethsaida. But how do you say it in English? I don't know. Bethsaida. And Jesus did one miracle in Hadness. Hadness means one miracle. What do I do there? I'm in a Jewish community. I'm letting my light shine. I married a Jewish woman from Brazil, a doctor. She takes good care of me. Lots of lettuce, celery, cauliflower, green beans, kale. <laughs> you know what we're doing there? Yeah, we bring Kevin and Linda and Dan and Lenise and other people there, but there's something else we're doing in the Jewish community. We're going door to door to door to door because they invite us. They want to know more. They want to learn more. And I said to them this, how many tribes? Twelve. How many are here? A few. Where are the others? I said, I got news for you. You don't know where they are. You don't know who they are. A lot of these that are out there believe that one of your guys is the Messiah. They believe that there was a Jewish Messiah. And they say, oh, the Catholics? And I said, no, 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 because the Catholics teach that they are Israel. And these people aren't saying they are replacement theology, they're Israel. They're saying they're followers of the Jewish Messiah. And they want to be close to the Jewish Messiah. And that Jewish Messiah means everything to them, as does Israel, as do the Jews. Where are we going? Into the future. Why are we going there? Because we can't go backwards. Clock doesn't work that way. Calendars don't work that way. We're going forward. What should we be doing? The only thing we can do. Carlin, would you come up for a minute? I need your help. First of all, unzip the bag. Thank you. We're moving forward together as one new man. No longer Jew, no longer Gentile. No longer male, no longer female. No longer rich, no longer poor. What does that mean? Of course there's male and female. Of course there's rich and poor. Of course there's Jew and Gentile. No. In the one new man, we're all equal. We all done God equality. 
through the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua. That's what it's all about. Would you take that out? Would you come up here? This, here, I'll use you. You're big enough to do this. Just stand. Hold the thread. Do you see any blue in the thread? Do you see blue? Ten years ago, no blue in any Jew colleague in the world. You know why? Because that snail that they get the blue from, they didn't know where it was. Now they're found, they found the snail, they found the blue. After 2,000 years of sleeping on the shores of Cyprus or wherever, they got this little guy back. They're putting blue. It hasn't happened for 2,000 years, as the Torah commanded. They're putting blue back in here. They got the red heifer. They're back in Jerusalem. The next step, the temple. The next step, Messiah. And the next step, 1,000 years. And I'm going to be saying to some of you, so how does it feel to know that you are Naphtali, living next to the Sea of Galilee? I know it's smaller than Red Lake, but it's nice. I know it doesn't have the trees of Red Lake, but what has it got over there? It's got your family. It's got your family. It's not about land. It's not about lake. It's, it's about family. What does he want? He wants to bring together his family. And you know what he's going to call them? Israel. Is there a possibility that all could be one in Yeshua? Not only a possibility, I think it's a promise. The talit is a symbol of Yeshua's power. Do you remember what happened? Can you help me for just a minute? Here, take two of these. Take those two. Stand over there. Here, take Take two and hold them up like this. Yeah. Yeshua, just hold them up like a tent. Every boy who goes through a bar mitzvah at 12 years of age gets his talit. And the talit will be something special. Could you help me just for a minute? No, I need a bride. <laughs> When the Jew boy gets married, can you come help me? <laughs> oh, by the way, there where I live, on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, I listen to his CD. He's been over there with me for a couple of years. Okay, so hold up. Okay, during the wedding ceremony, the guy stands here like this, in, under his tali. And the bride, just walk around me, this way, this way, like a clock, okay? She walks around him seven times, meaning every day of the week, she's his. You're not mine. Go sit down. <laughs> the tali is used, lay down, lay down, just lay down, lay down. The tali is used as a prayer closet until he dies. And when he dies, they will cover him with his tali. However, if you have a child, God forbid, should die before you, do you know what they do? They cover the child with the tali. Remind you of a story? Mm -hmm. She's dead. She's dead. And Yeshua says, no, she's not. And he goes in, and he stands by the talit, 
covering the child, and what does he say? Talit, get up. Yes, yes, keep going. That's what they saw. That's what they saw. Thank you. Wow. Impressive? Thank you. Sit right there. You're not done. Yeah. That's the story of what happened. Here I am in the land of Israel, seeing for myself firsthand some of the things that happened in the scriptures that I never understood because I was outside of Judaism. I didn't know what a talit was. I didn't know a talit from a towel. You know? There were so many things. I, zitzi. I didn't know zitzi. In the Bible, it talks about the zitzi. But, you, of course, you get the impression when you read the hem of his garment that it looks something like this, the cuff. This is the zitzi. They all wear them. The sign of all the commandments, including the commandments with promise. You follow me, you follow me with all your heart and I will heal you. My mother had cancer. She's Jewish Ashkenazi. It's a curse. 85% of the Ashkenazi women have female cancers. My grandmother had her breasts removed. My mother, my sister, my aunts. No one died from cancer in my family. No one died from cancer in my family. You know what I'm saying? We don't have to be victimized by a disease. He is stronger and greater. Sometimes he uses the surgeon. He is stronger and greater than us, and we don't have to die. Not from the enemy's curses. Amen. I wanted to share a little personal story before I close. Then we're going to go eat together. There was a time in Israel when my wife and I were desperate last year. She is a pediatrician, but she's not working in the hospital. She wanted to learn the language before she went to work. And so we were without resources. And my wife said, what are we going to do? I said, that's easy. I'll spend a few days prayer and fasting, and God's going to take care of it. After one day of praying and fasting, my wife says, what happened? I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you prayed and fasted yesterday and nothing happened. I said, Roni, sometimes God wants to really see what our faith is like. I said, let's give it three days. Without any, any phone calls to anybody, we got three phone calls. One from Canada one from Ohio, and one from Pennsylvania. And they all said the same thing. God spoke to us that you need some help. You know what I thought of, Lexus, Roy Rogers. <laughs> wow. We got help, and we got it amazing. God completely changed the direction of everything we were doing this year. And I said to my wife, God is God. A man I didn't even know came up to me on a boat on the Sea of Galilee talk to me. To make a long short story short, I have a brother in Texas now who's praying for me every day. He says, every day I'll be praying for you. He says, I want you to come to my little congregation in Texas and teach them about the holy days, the, the holy days of the Bible. 
not the holy days, the holidays of man, but the holy days of the Bible. Teach them. So I went to this church, big church, and I was telling Kevin, like nine out of ten, ninety percent or so of all the people came down at the end and thanked me for coming and teaching them about the holy days. And they said, we knew that they were something about Jesus in them. But I taught the Passover, just that one. And they said, wow, what a difference this is making in our family and in our lives. And I'm saying this to you. Canada has, you know, these special days and different cultures have special days. But God in his Bible also has special days, holy days. And I'm going to do everything I can when I'm back in the land of Israel to be praying for you, praying for this congregation, and asking God to reveal to you his plan that he says, my appointed times are forever. And I think it's important before the Messiah comes, we at least walk in knowledge of what these important seasons are all about. That's your job. I'll just help you. I'm honored to be with you. Get personal. Kevin said I should get personal. I could. Okay. Do I expect to live to see the Messiah return? Uh-huh. Do I think it's going to be easy? Never. Do I think the people where I live in Hodness are going to be scared to death at some of the things that happen in the future? Uh-huh. Will they see fear on me? Never. He who saved me from a snowmobile full throttle that hits barbed wire, he can save Israel from a few Arab cowboys. Amen? Amen. Difficult times ahead. Not impossible. With God, all things are possible. Red Lake, I've come a long way to be here. I came from Middlefield, Ohio, via California, via Israel. My heart is still with the Amish community in Ohio. They don't want to hear that Israel has a connection to them. They, they don't want to hear the message you heard. There are Christians that don't want to hear the message you just heard of the connection, the one new man, the two sticks coming together. And I just thank God you got a pastor that says to me, share it all. God bless you. God bless you, Red Lake. Ah, yeah, I sure can give the blessing. The holy blessing in the holy tongue. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Give you his peace. I can give that because according to my DNA, I'm a Levy. My family never called us Levies. They just said we were Jews with big noses. But because I'm a Levy, I'm called to bless. I had, but stand here with me. I had a flight on a United, and I went back for coffee. And there was just one stewardess, and she said, I said, can I get a coffee here? She said, yes, of course. She poured me a coffee. I saw a cross. I said, are you a Christian girl? She said, yes. I said, I'm not. I'm Jewish. You know, we have different holiday structure. But I said to her, I believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah. She said, really? I said, yes. I said, would you like me to give you a blessing in Hebrew? She said, of course. So there I put the coffee down, you know, and I went, and I did the, the blessing. And when I finished with the word shalom, I said something that was just amazing. 
to this stewardess that's crying. I said, God healed you. I don't know where that came from. God healed you. And she said, yes, I felt it. I will give you the blessing in the holy tongue. And my prayer is, you will feel him do something in your heart. Do you know what I'm saying? We want you to know how much he loves you. That he brought a farm boy from Middlefield to be here with you today, and it's my greatest joy. And now, with the help of my assistant, if you'll please stand. Hold that. Let's find the right end up. There it is. We take this, we hold it up. Okay. And I kiss the corners, and I go, and I say, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who's commanded us to wear the talit. Amen. Now you can go stand next to your father. And he'll put his hand on you. Yavarekaka Adonai Vaish Merakha Ya'er Adonai Pana Vekunika Isa Adonai Pana Vyalekha Vayasem Lekha Shalom 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 Amen. Thank you very much. May God bless you. And um, as you process some of this, and um, let's go eat.